We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5, going verse by verse, chapter number 19. We're going to talk about, well, let's just read the verse. 1 Timothy 5, 19, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Witnesses are important. And God's model, God's plan throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament is you better find out what two or three other fellows have to say before you start making a judgment call. You hear something, makes you got some witnesses. What I'd like to do is get the Old Testament cross-reference and the New Testament cross-reference just so we can look at those verses. Go to Deuteronomy 17 and then Matthew 18. Deuteronomy 17. We'll do that one first. Deuteronomy 17, look at verse uh, Look at verse number 5. Deuteronomy 17, verse number 5. Then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman which have committed that wicked thing unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and thou shalt stone them with stones till they die. That was pretty, pretty harsh stuff back in the Old Testament. You, you disobeyed God. It wasn't uncommon to get stoned to death. <laughs> and you can understand now this next verse why this was so important. At the mouth of two or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. Why? Because the guy might not be worthy of death. And you had to have two or three witnesses so that it wasn't just somebody doing what they wanted to do because they didn't like somebody. And then they just made an accusation against an innocent man or an innocent woman. Now that happens, and it happens all the time. And it happens all the time, all the way back to the Old Testament when God was dealing with his nation. So he says, I want to hear it from two or three credible mouths. Because we don't want to just put an innocent man to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. That was the Old Testament. And that was how God dealt with his national people, the Jewish people. Don't want, don't just take one, get two or three more credible people. Well, what if we don't have two or three credible people? Then throw the whole thing out. <laughs> don't put the guy to death. Don't stone him. All right, Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse, verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, verse 15. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. So, so brother's got a problem with somebody in the church. Why are they going to come to me? I'm going to say, well, did you talk to him? No. Then why are you talking to me? Go to him. You've got a problem with somebody, go to him. A sister has a problem with a sister, go to, go to that sister. You go one-on-one, -on -one, you try to work it out first. There's no reason to blow it up and bring it to the pastor's attention or, or none of that. Um, there's, a, there's a process we see in Matthew 18, and the first part of it is you go to the person. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Okay, great, it was worked out and that's the end of it. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. 
that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. That's the process. Even before it goes in front of the church, the process is you go to the one person, and if you can't get it worked out, you got to get two or three other credible voices to get in on it. You can't play he said, she said. Okay, so that's the principle of witnesses. It's important that we have witnesses. Now go back to 1 Timothy 5. I looked at those cross-references first because this is such an important verse. Against an elder, receive not an accusation. Now it's not a period, it's a comma, but before two or three witnesses. We covered the part after the comma. The receive, uh, against an elder, receive not an accusation. It's not a period where you just never hear anything. That statement is qualified by how you would have to receive it. And it has to be said here in 1 Timothy 5 because anybody, do you know who this world wants to take down? Christians. Even more Christian leaders. Pastors, elders, deacons, they want them taken out. Anybody can say anything about anybody. And God safeguards that stupidity. He safeguards it with how to handle it. If you hear something about a pastor or an elder or a deacon, or my friends, even one of your own church members, don't just receive it right off the bat. You got to get some credible witnesses to verify what is being said. Because pastors have been ruined, deacons and elders have been ruined, church people have been ruined because someone's blabbing their mouth and making something up. So the Bible says, hey, receive not an accusation. Don't, hey, you need two or three witnesses. That's very clear. We got to be real slow to believe accusations. We also don't want to give encouragement to slanderous voices by receiving it. Here's something. Be apt. Don't be apt to believe surface accusations without sufficient evidence. I'll say that one again. Don't be apt to believe surface accusations without sufficient evidence. And remember, if you hear something bad about me, which you will, I'm a Bible-believing teacher, if you hear something bad about a church leader or a church member here, and you will because we're Bible-believing Christians, you got to remember something. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. Maybe I need to say this more. I'll say it tonight. Satan doesn't want people coming to churches like ours to learn truth. The devil doesn't want that, brother. The devil is completely okay with people meeting socially in buildings that might have church on the sign. But churches that are actually wanting to live the Christian life and witness for Jesus and make a difference in this lost and dying world, 
you might as well just walk around with a target on your back or your forehead. The devil doesn't want people like us doing the things that God wants us to do. And if you just hush your mouth or you just don't say nothing or you just don't live for the Lord, you're not a target. <laughs> That's the way it goes. So 1 Timothy 5 gives us a warning. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Um, we are not a church that loves gossip and praise the Lord for that. And part of the reason why we're not a church that loves gossip is because we just love the Bible and we know the Bible says don't do that. <laughs> and so we're not apt to just the tattling and all that. And that's a good thing. And that's something we want to continue to inculcate here. Um, but every church, every now and then, has people that, you know, come and go. But, you know, every church that grows to a large size always has the sermon detectives, you know. The sermon detectives, they pick apart not only every little word the pastor says, but every little thing that everybody else says. And they always, they're just the nitpickers. They got something negative to say all the time. <laughs> I probably think it's a good idea to find some good things to say. <laughs> Maybe balance that out. <laughs> and I think that's a, a good way to go. Um, leaders have to be able to rule well. We talked about that. They've got to be able to lead and guide properly. And part of that is being able to stay on top of and squash slanderous jabber. Um, Okay, pretend I had a baseball in my hand. Isaiah, you ready? Are you ready? He put his hands up, and what did he do? He received the ball. Now you pretend I've got a football in my hand. Ready? He put, and, and he received the catch. Hannah? You pretend I've got a volleyball in my hand. You ready? You, you received it too. Great. I mean, you got an object coming at you. You want to receive the object. But if I threw that baseball to you, Isaiah, and you didn't put your hands up to receive it, what would happen? No, no, put your hands down. Okay? I throw the baseball at you. And it just hits you right in the head. <laughs> you, you received it with your face. <laughs> okay? But, but, but look, both times, that ball had somewhere to land. You received it and welcomed it with, with your hands. The other time... You didn't welcomely receive it. You just ate it. <laughs> Boom! You got hit in the face. But both times you received it. What if you were to just step out of the way? It wouldn't have anywhere to land on you at all. And that's a little bit of a word picture to bring out this truth. Um, against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. If it's got nowhere to land, 
if somebody's got gossip or slander or uh, just nitpicking talk, if it doesn't have anywhere to land, it's not going to it's not going to get any ground. And a lot of times, God's people they just need to step out of the way, just let the thing fall flat on its face. Don't receive it. Don't get involved with it. Step out of the way. Uh, also, there is a part of being able to trust biblical leadership to handle things biblically. And we don't want to just leave things to feelings. Well, that's, that person's my friend. Well, I get along with this person. That can get us in a lot of trouble. We've got to handle things biblically. We don't, why? Because we don't want somebody ruined by a false accusation and a slanderous character assault. We don't want that at all. Um, I want to go back to the Old Testament again. Go to Exodus 34. Because I believe the character of God is something we should model. How about you? I, I believe you'd say amen to that. Exodus 34. Watch what it says about our God. Exodus 34, look at verse number 14. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous. One of the titles of our Lord is Jealous. And then it says, He is a jealous God. I believe we should take that character trait and apply it to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to be, and I want you to be, we should be jealous over each other's reputation. I don't want your reputation to be harmed. I don't want my reputation to be harmed. <laughs> we have a jealous God. We should be jealous over each other. That's a righteous way to be jealous. I don't want you to be harmed. And I, I'm concerned about your reputation and our reputation. It hurts the cause of Christ. When Christians can't get along because of slander, it does. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. <laughs> you know, you nowadays it's hard to do anything right, and uh, you know if you, you know you're if you, we're in the context of church leadership, talking about elders. We can insert pastor, we can insert deacon in the context of church leadership, obviously. But sometimes the church leaders can't do anything right. You know, if everybody expects their kids to turn out super great. And if they don't, they have the reason why they didn't turn out super great. And, you know, so if they're out witnessing, well, you're not spending enough time with your kids. And then if you're spending time with your kids, well, you should be out witnessing because this world's lost and you got to save souls and you don't care about souls. It's like you can't. That's nitpicky stuff. You know what I think God wants us to be concerned with first? What are we doing? <laughs> if you have an accusation, we should find the ones against us and bring that to the Lord and try to get that right. And that's probably going to be uh, another safeguard. Okay? Um, but don't receive it. Uh, event, the accuser of the brethren isn't the brethren. <laughs> and it should not be the brethren. The accuser of the brethren is the devil. That's Satan. 
Now, you know what's going to happen to the accuser of the brethren? Revelation 12 tells us what's going to happen. He's going to be cast down, except right now he is seeking about whom he may devour. He is the one coming after you and I as a roaring lion. Uh, Isaiah, that'd be different than a purry little, a purry little cute kitty cat. Okay? This be a lion that you hear him roar, you want to get out of there. He is your adversary and it's the devil, which is why you and I have to be sober and we have to be vigilant about false accusations. God commanded His church leaders to be concerned about that. Look at verse 20. First Timothy 5, verse 20, Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. You see the contrast between verse 19 and verse 20? You want, verse 9, you could have a false accusation. Don't receive it. But if you have evidence, if there is something substantial, you have to bring it before the congregation. If a pastor, if an elder, if a deacon, a church leader sins, then God says, you must bring it to light. And if you're worthy of double honor, you know what this verse is telling us? Then you're worthy of double criticism. You're worthy of a double whooping <laughs> if you mess up. So God's not saying you can never, an elder or a pastor or a deacon or a church leader could never do anything wrong. No, he's saying you better be real careful and just receiving any old thing. But if something has come to light, and there is sin in the camp, God says, you better rebuke that thing before everybody so others may fear. And the fear of the Lord is a, is a good thing. Why must, why must we bring it to light? Well, if an elder has sinned and somebody or some bodies have been hurt, you can't just not say anything and risk, and risk other somebodies getting hurt. If they led a bunch of people astray, you can't not rebuke it and call it out because that just gives them a green light to just go out, go about his business and just go ahead, lead some more people astray. God's dealing with this stuff in 1 Timothy. He says, look, if there's something legitimate, you've got to bring it to light. Everybody's got to know about it. I try not to park on a lot of uh, stuff that other people are doing because those other people aren't here. Um, but there's some church, there's some pastors that shouldn't be pastors. There's some elders that shouldn't be elders. And they're leading people astray. And if you have a national crowd, if you have a national audience, and a preacher locally who don't have those people coming locally, a preacher locally, if he doesn't warn his members, they're not going to know what to look for if it comes their way. Especially now in the days of social media and internet radio and internet preachers and all that. You've got to be able to 
call out sin or call out false doctrine when you see it. Um, one of the things that really bothers me, uh, I hope I would trust it would bother you, is church cover-ups. I don't like that. I think that's a good old boy network. You scratch my back, I'll scratch you your back. How about if you sin, I'll call you out on it, and I sin, you call me out on it. Why are we covering it up so more people can get hurt? And you know what? The world sees that, and they're not going to trust Christ based on the stupid stuff that church people do. Amen. It shouldn't be that way. And we know doctrinally it shouldn't be that way. They should just trust the Lord because they should know they're a sinner. I get it. I'm with you. But the bottom line is that's not how they look at church people. They look at how you're living, how you're operating, and they make a judgment call. And they might not ever say anything to you. We've got to be on the up and up. And, you know, these people who want to start podcasts, anybody can start a podcast now. And when they say stuff about churches that are true and it was covered up and it was a scandal, I'm for them. I might not be for everything else they're saying or doing because they like to try to take the brush and make the brush as broad as they can and cover all Christians. But nonetheless, I'm against every type of church cover-up that you can imagine. We need to be vigilant about calling that out. We ought to be brave about rebuking evil too. Why? Then that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Why do we call out sin? Because I want you to be afraid of it. <laughs> well, that brother didn't that. Don't you think he's a nice guy? Yeah, but he hurt a lot of people and I want you to be afraid to get hurt. I want you to be afraid of getting involved in that sin. I want you to fear God. We can't mince our words with it. We've got to preach against sin. And I'll tell you, no pastor likes doing church discipline. But when it comes time to do it, he's got to do it. Um, no, no group of church members looks forward to having to confront a church leader about sin or a problem. But you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Both sides. Nobody likes it, but it has to be done. You better ask God for some wisdom. All right, go to Galatians 6. I'm going to tie this thought into our message. Galatians 6. Verse number 1. Galatians 6, verse number 1. Brethren... This be for believers. If a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. The mark of spirituality is your ability to help with restoration. The person that comes in that's super spiritual and can't fellowship with anybody and can't stick around any church more than a few weeks or a few months because he's always finding a doctrine that you just don't have right, that isn't the super spiritual guy. 
The Bible tells us in Galatians 6.1, the spiritual guy, the spiritual gal is the one who can restore people. If I trip and fall, Seth, would you just walk over me or would you put your hand out and try to help me up? Chris, if I'm out in the middle of the street and I don't see a car coming, would you yell, Yo, Brother Jimmy, get out of the way. Here comes a car. Or would you just let the car run me over? I would hope so. I would hope you're that spiritual to want to keep me restored. That's what a brother or a sister in Christ does for another brother. They're not looking to kick them while they're down. They're looking to restore. In the spirit of meekness, that strength under control, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And you got to consider some things. Because we just love, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, we just love, let's just see, let's just see God just smote people dead. <laughs> well, well, let's consider the nature of the thing. Let's consider, does this need to really go like public? Might be easier to just, why don't you just talk to that person over lunch and it'll be over. Why don't you just sit down with the pastor and probably in 10 minutes you can work, it's a silly thing. You know, there's some small nitpicky things that can just be worked out with a spirit of meekness and a spirit of restoration. That's what God desires in these types of things. All right, last verse. Go back to 1 Timothy 5. Last verse. Verse number 21. I'll read 1920 and then into 21, I believe. It flows real good. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others may that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is so important. God makes a charge here. He's got His eyes on it. The Lord Jesus Christ has is His eyes on His church. And you know, uh, as a pastor, I am accountable to God. As a Christian, you and I are accountable to who? God. God's watching what's going on in his church. And then it says, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. These are chosen and they're specially privileged angels. And they aren't the ones that followed Lucifer and fell with him. They were the ones that didn't. And God gave them special charge. And apparently some of them are going to have their eyes on the thing. It's important what goes on in God's church. And all of us are accountable before God. Um, so we need to be aware of that. Uh, that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. I'm going to kind of, I'm going to kind of let that family slide I know that they have been borrowing money and not paying it back 
to church people, but they're just so nice. They're just so likable. And they've been here for so long. I think I'm just going to let that slide. You know what the Bible says? I'd be wrong if I did that. You can't do it. You're showing partiality. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He's not that nice, but he's not nice to the people he's stealing from. Well, you know, this family's been coming for so long. I mean, the treasurer says they just give more than uh, the whole church combined. Can't we just overlook their sin? No, we can't just overlook their sin. Why? Because that would be showing what? Partiality. So your likeness to somebody or their wealth or, or, and I hope this is never the case, a pastor or an elder or a deacon has us kids that get into something they shouldn't get into. Well, they're my kids. I don't feel like dealing with it. And you know what God says? You would be wrong if you don't. Now that's tough. We need some young men for the ministry. Who's wanting to... <laughs> And ladies, young ladies, if you if you marry, if you end up marrying a man that's called to the ministry. Uh, it's not as easy. Uh, I was going to say as I make it look. I don't think I make it look that easy. It's not. It's not easy. You have to always. You you can't have a B game. You is just an A game. So it doesn't matter if you if you're partial to family, if you're partial to a, a wealthy person. Or if you're partial to a friend, God says you have to, as a church leader, you have to throw all that partiality out of the way. God the Father's looking. God the Son's looking. God the Holy Spirit's indwelt within His church members. And He's got His elect angels looking. We can't show partiality. We, if we're going to be partial to one thing, it's always with, what does God say to do? <laughs> I want to do that. And if we can get focused on doing what God said, we, don't, we won't have a problem with partiality.